and welcome to our next episode of Global.Science, a podcast on science education across the world. I am Fabia Battistuzzi. I'm Lev Horodisky, and this is our season finale. It's our very last episode, potentially. Maybe, until we start again. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so uh, Lev, what are we going to talk about? We're, talk, we're going to talk about promotions and how you move up to your academic career after you secure an academic job. That is quite interesting. So did you move up in your career? Uh, yes, and I did that mostly by quitting my job and getting a new one because those are the only options available to me. How did it work for you? So in my case, it was a little bit simpler, although changing really jobs sometimes... Really simpler. Uh, well... Let's just say I didn't have to change a job, although sometimes that does sound appealing. Um, No, I uh, kind of followed a usual path. So from assistant professor, uh, I went, I was on tenure track, as we say in the US, uh, which means it's usually a five to six year period in which you are, you know, doing the things that a professor is supposed to be doing. So teaching, uh, uh, doing service and uh, doing research. And, uh, and then after that period, the department and the rest of the university decide if you are worthy of staying with them or not. And uh, that's how you end up getting, getting tenure and becoming an associate professor. And then the next step is become a full professor. That hasn't happened to me yet. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> So what happens during the tenuring process when you're moving in that transition from assistant to associate? Well, it depends a lot on the institution. It depends on the department and on the field. Um, but in general, for most for the scientific fields that I'm aware of, um, generally what it means is that you have to show that you obviously can teach, um, that you can mentor students, so you have established your own research lab, uh, and that you can attract the funding. And that is the most difficult part because obviously you need to get uh, funding from outside of the university um, and uh, that support your research. And so that is usually kind of the make it or break it point of the tenure track. If you can get this funding, usually you are okay. Um, If you cannot, um, it can become a little more complex. (laughs) So essentially your job security is dependent on a lottery. Yeah, pretty much. So much so that actually with my friends, we used to say, how about we propose a change? And instead of depending on funding, we end applying for grants. So we simply go to Vegas and whoever wins gets tenure. That seems uh, at least more fun. (laughs) Yes, I remember those conversations. And yes, I, I do find funding to be a bit of a gamble. So yeah, it is difficult. But in your case, you switch the jobs in a very dramatic way, right? Because you went outside of academia and became independent. Yes, I went independent, founded a nonprofit, and then I kind of dabble in academia every once in a while here and there, still teaching, just to stay in touch to understand what the academic needs are. And uh, now I am in Brazil. So we started this season, well, 15 weeks ago from the listener's perspective, but six months ago from a recording perspective, we've been really powering along on these recordings. Um, And now I'm in Brazil to investigate um, what the situation is like in Brazil. And that will introduce us to our guest uh, today. And that is Dr. Roberto Greco, 
He is an associate professor in the Department of Science and Political Technology at the Institute of Geoscience at the University of Campinas. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Lev. Thank you, Fabian. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> welcome, Roberto. So you, how long have you been in Brazil? Oh, it's already 10 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. As long as I have been in the U.S., interesting. <laughs> You're not originally from Brazil. No, I am Italian. I born in Italy and I spent uh, most of my life there. And then I moved here after uh, a public selection here in uh, the State University of Campinas. And uh, I started to work here. And so how, um, how was the, you know, the transition from an Italian system to the Brazilian system? Uh, um, what kind of um, differences have you noticed? Uh, I won't ask you which one you like better because you're supposed to say the Brazilian one. <laughs> so I won't ask you that. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm still in really good relation even uh, the department where I do the PhD. They invite me two years ago as visiting professor there, spend a semester, an online semester was in the nice. pandemic. But, uh, well, I was not uh, working in the academy at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, my trajectory has, uh, is quite different from the usual one. I mean, after the, the undergraduate study in natural science, I spent 10 years working in different fields as a, like a, a state regional park uh, a guard, like Ranger. And for uh, three years, then I work for a trade union for farmers. Then I start to work uh, in school. Then I do a PhD. And uh, then I start to in be engaged in the international uh, organization in uh, earth science education. And through this contact, I get aware of this position there. I come here before as visiting professor. And after a while, I take a permanent position. And uh, is, uh, so I, don't, I do not have a, a really a lot of experience of the academic uh, uh, life. In, in Italy, I just uh, doing my, do my PhD there, and um, yeah, that's kind of similar to my experience. I I did my undergraduate in Italy, so I don't really know how you know the academic life from a faculty perspective works uh, in Italy, except for what my friends tell me, of course, but not in uh, not uh, first-hand experience. Um, so you started in Brazil. It's interesting that you said that uh, through the connections that you made during your uh, um, job that was uh, connecting you to the international world, that's how you heard about the position um, in, uh, in Campinas. So I'm I'm curious how how did you establish that network? Because uh, establishing networks uh, are, it's already difficult enough within you know one city or one institution, but establishing networks that are international is even more complicated. Well, uh, <laughs> well, uh, during my PhD, I was doing a research in earth science education, and I know that when you do research. You then there is you would like to share the result of your research with a scientific community, and I don't find the scientific community on air science education in Italy. So I start to look outside because there was uh, some people that work on that topic, but they were almost retired, 
And uh, there are, after a while, I discovered some few people in a different university that uh, are not aware of each other. And uh, so <laughs> I was lucky because I started to look for contact uh, outside and uh, get in contact with one teacher, in uh, one professor in, uh, in England that uh, was one of the world leaders in earth science education, one of the first uh, chair of the International Geoscience Education Organization. So uh, spent some time uh, with him uh, during an interchange. He let me uh, the possibility to open many doors and to know many people. So what was the transition like to Brazil? Because you came here without really knowing the language. Well, I have uh, some good Spanish at that time that in some way helped a little, but uh, <laughs> and I still have a, a strong accent from my city, uh, and Modena, and also from uh, Spanish uh, uh, world that I use. So all the people, when I, I am talking here, uh, Usually, her Brazilian colleague thinks that I am from other another Latin American country, but uh, well, it was not so easy. After, but um, in few months, I was able to understand quite a lot, <laughs> and uh, I started also to to talk and to teach, and uh, so it was not so so complicated. But uh, write well properly, it take take time. It, it's a really difficult language, the Portuguese, also the, the Brazilian Portuguese. Also the, the people here, even the academic one, are used to use a re reviewer for the language because there are many, many rules that uh, are different in the written uh, language from the speaking language that the people speak in the daily, daily life. Oh, wow. I did not expect uh, Brazilian Portuguese to be that difficult. That's impressive. Um, so you moved to Brazil and, uh, you know, you got adjusted. You said you started as a visiting professor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then what was your kind of your career path from uh, from there? Uh, well, uh, and then uh, I, I start uh, with the position as assistant professor and recently I passed to associate professor. And uh, it, it, the path uh, is quite different between from university to another university uh, because there are different kinds of university. In Brazil, there are many, many private universities also that have a different system. Then there are the public one and the public one usually are state or federal because uh, Brazil is a federation of state. So I am working in a state university and uh, in Sao Paulo state and here, the, the rule are that, uh, at least in my university, that uh, when you enter, you, after every three years, you can uh, move an advancement, uh, advancement in your career. And uh, if you feel uh, some uh, requirement, uh, minimum requirement, and uh, you can also pass to from assistant to associate if you uh, feel some uh, requirement and also pass like uh, uh, an exam that is based on title, on uh, a discussion and uh, on a presentation of a lecture. 
That and, uh, sounds very complicated and very stressful. <laughs> it was a little, it was a little, yeah. <laughs> I usually really calm and uh, do not affected by stress, but this time was uh, was a bit stressful, yeah. Yeah, even because after so many years that you you work and uh, is uh, uh, it's always a bit stressful when uh, some of the people assess you. And uh, and uh, if you would like to become a full professor, you have to pass through another selection. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthias, uh, it will take to me at least five years because it's a minimum interstitium between uh, the two yep. levels. So for the next few years, five years, I will be rel- more relaxed again. <laughs> <laughs> so how long is it between associate and full professor for you? Um, it's a minimum of three years, um, but again, it kind of, uh, here it's driven by grant funding. So basically the moment you get another big grant uh, and, you know, we're talking about at least a half a million dollars or higher, then you can apply for full professor, um, without in, in the sciences again, um, without that, even if more year pass, uh, it's probably not going to go through. Okay. So Roberto, what kind of, uh, so what do you do for day-to-day work? Um, you, uh, you depend, do you depend as much on funding? So I know in the U.S. you need to raise quite a bit of, you get some funds from the university that pay your salary, but if you want to run your lab, you need to pull in funds from external agencies to pay students and pay for equipment. Does it operate the same way in Brazil? Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost similar. I mean, uh, you, we have some assistance directly by the university for, uh, for lab uh, and for uh, at least at Unicamp that is a good university with uh, a lot of support. But um, however, uh, usually a professor go through funding uh, through, there are several uh, funding agencies and uh, in Sao Paulo State is pretty rich in comparison from uh, with other state Brazilian state. So the situation for funding is is, is not too bad, and uh, but is is decreasing quite a lot in the in the last few years in comparison from ten years ago. The situation is is really different now. I hope that uh, in the next future <laughs> they start to to rise again. And uh, yes, uh, we we apply for uh, we present project for funding, uh, and uh, that is the stu- usually PhD and master student also work on the lab on the research group, and they also can also apply for fellowship independently or more recently, better if they are related to some fa- project project that is already funded. Okay. And so what kind of projects do you work on? Because we were out in the field a few weeks ago, a few months ago from the perspective of the listeners. Um, and it was a project that was quite interesting on public outreach. You do a lot of public outreach related research. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And this is interesting because uh, let me to, to talk a little about a different concept from uh, Western, uh, Western country. Uh, here in Latin America, especially, they develop a concept that uh, the university have not all, only to teach and to do research, 
but also in some way to give back to the population what are the results of the research to bring some benefit to the, to the white population. And um, uh, there are uh, some special funding for this kind of activity. And this uh, that we participated a few weeks ago was one of this project that was a community-based project. So how do you find uh, working with those communities? Uh, you need to build an association with those communities first. And how long does that take? So the community we were working with, um, that was, was that a longstanding collaboration or was that something new for the project? Uh, well, this collaboration started uh, around uh, five, six years ago and was quite uh, unusual how this start because um, it started by contact of a researcher in, uh, in the Cardiff University. I was there for an exchange uh, because uh, we start to make a lot of joint project between the two universities, Campinas and uh, Unicamp and uh, Cardiff University. And uh, when I was there, uh, some um, colleagues approached me for asking me if I would like to collaborate with them in a project that are developing with this community in the Valley do Ribera Valley. And it uh, looked look like an interesting project. And when I come back, uh, I go to visit this community. I get in contact with other Brazilian researchers that are already engaged in the project. And since then, I start to, to work with this community. So does, um, does this community um, welcome the connection with the researchers? I know that sometimes, uh, um, especially here in the US, there can be a little bit of tension depending on the type of research, you know, there, there can be tension. Sometimes communities feel sort of almost exploited by the researchers and sometimes they're happy to connect. So how, I guess, how do you navigate that fine balance between um, to establish a healthy connection? Well, I think that I was lucky because uh, there was already an healthy connection. The mm -hmm. researchers that uh, already had contact with this community already established really good uh, and uh, equal uh, relation with the community. Uh, one of the researchers that now is a professor in a, in a federal university, he, he do his uh, research project of PhD in, with this community. So he spent uh, three, four years working with this community. So there was a really strong relation. Okay. And uh, the, the project that we developed with the University of Cardiff and also like an extension project, outreach project, uh, recently uh, with Unicam, uh, it starts from a demand of the community. And that mm. I think it makes all the difference because the, the leader of the community asked to the group of the researcher as uh, some uh, support, some help uh, to solve this kind of, some kind of uh, issue or some situation that they have in the community. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm starting to see things moving in that direction uh, here in the US as well. There are, first of all, funding opportunities for community engagement are increasing slowly, but they are increasing. Um, and it's nice to see that the community leaders are the ones that actually reach out to the universities. So they start seeing, um, in a sense of value, in having uh, people around them that can provide 
some sort of expertise while you know the people in the university actually get to learn about what is around them which is also a very good thing so so it, it seems like it's a it's a win-win situation for um uh for both of the communities and uh, and the universities that's that it's nice to hear that it's already well established uh in brazil that's a nice thing <laughs> yeah this is uh, my experience in that case because also in brazil there are uh, there have been situation with conflict uh, not so easy so uh, for that reason also uh, there is uh, some um, um ethical process that uh, for research we or every research have to pass through in order to be approved and to have a, a healthy relation with uh, with the community and the individual or community that are subject of research but these extension project are uh, are more focused in uh, in developing um uh, some win-win situation with the community what what is the approval process like because in the us we have the institutional review board that if you're doing research with human subjects you often need to uh, it varies from university to university but you often need to describe the research you're going to be doing what impact it can have on people and there's a lot of paperwork that you need to submit uh, to to the university's irb and then they review it and determine whether the project can progress or whether it needs to be modified. And that could take anywhere from a few weeks to a few months, depending on the university and the scope of the project. Uh, so in your experience, how has that worked in Brazil? Well, uh, I think uh, at the moment it worked quite well. In my experience, sometimes uh, it takes a while to, to have the approval, but I think uh, is uh, well organized. What uh, what is the project process here? Well, uh, you you can have some uh, project funded or not that uh, by some research um, foundation. And uh, in any case, when you before to start your research, if you if your research involve people, and you have to pass through a, a ethical approval uh, process. And this is split in two. It depends if it is by um, just like social study, like interview, questionnaire, observation, or is more biological or uh, hospitalization. I mean, like a blood sample or this kind of uh, research that are genetic, that are more uh, invasive uh, research. So there are two separate committee, committee that assess the project. I am used to su uh, submit project by the social science, uh, uh, human social science uh, committee. And uh, if the project have not, uh, do not involve Native American or other uh, minor community, uh, or uh, if uh, do not have uh, uh, international uh, resources is the, the approval usually is quite is pretty speed in, uh, in maybe two three weeks you can have your uh, if if uh, it is all all right from since the beginning in two three weeks one month you can have your approval in your end if you your project involves international resources or study with native american and so on you have to pass the 
first uh, approval at uh, university level, and then the project go to Brasilia, to the capital, to the main uh, central committee that make a second assessment, and that usually take uh, one, two, three months more to, to have the approbation. But uh, it's something that everyone already know, and so that uh, you, you can plan your research uh, even with this, uh, with this part. Right. So how do you get students involved in all this? Because I can imagine, obviously, you are, you know, from a professor perspective, you are familiar with the process. Uh, you can communicate with uh, the communities that you're going to work with. Uh, do students get involved as well, or it's mostly a faculty-led kind of effort? Well, it depends uh, on the kind of project. There are some essential projects that are basically uh, run by the student, undergraduate or graduate student, and. Uh, the professor have uh, mainly a role as coordinator. There are other, like the one that uh, I am engaged now, that uh, uh, I have an active uh, role in this project, but I also involve some of my uh, graduate students that uh, uh, even because uh, it's like a training for what they have to do for the PhD research mm -hmm. in other area with other community. But uh, they could be graduates, they could be undergraduates, they could be few, they could be many, it depends. Usually the resources are not too much. So in that project that is quite far away from Unicamp, uh, usually I don't bring there uh, more than one, two students. Mm -hmm. Other projects that are more uh, local can uh, that have no other cost involved. It's more easy to involve and engage more students. Right. Since uh, next year, <laughs> there is uh, is uh, the obligation for all the course undergraduate course to have ten percent of the hours of the of the course dedicated to extension project. So this is, is a huge revolution in the, in the undergraduate course in all Brazil. So it's something new that it will start uh, in uh, it, uh, it, in some university already start this project, but uh, the deadline for all the universities to start it is uh, the beginning of next year. Oh, wow, that's that's quite interesting. So all courses, uh, regardless of field, will have to have some sort of community connection of some sort. Yes. Wow, that's yes. that's interesting. I like that. And there is a lot of um, theoretical discussion in how to do that. So, and every course uh, have adopted different uh, approach. And uh, by the experience, we will see what worked better, what worked do not work so well. And so there will be for sure more adaptation in the next few years. I'll, I'll be curious to see how, yeah. how it develops because it could be something that the US could learn to do. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah. So I think for the uh, last part of the discussion, I want to pivot to another project that you've been working on for a while, the International Earth Science Olympiad. I do remember when I was in middle school doing some kind of science Olympiad. And I remember it being a bunch of multiple choice questions that I don't think I did very well on. I can't even remember what topic it was. It may have been earth science. 
Um, but that is a more international program. And I like the discussions we've had over the years about the intentions of the program being not just to find the best students who can do geoscience and earth science, but also to serve as a mechanism for getting quality earth science education materials into school systems around the world that may not otherwise have access to those kinds of materials. Could you tell us a bit more about the whole program and how it operates? Okay, so the International Air Science Olympiad is one of the many science, international science Olympiads that are now available worldwide, like physics, math, uh, chemistry, and uh, is one of the most recent. It's just started in 2007. And um, well, in this Olympiad, uh, the purpose is, uh, of course, to give the opportunity to, to the best students that are interested in the field to uh, study more, learn more, and maybe continue later on on undergraduate course and, or academic level. But uh, it's also a way to test a new uh, way of teaching. And that is what we are trying to do with the uh, with the IESO, that is uh, to promote cooperative activity, learning with uh, problem solving, with field activity. And uh, the idea is to show to the mentor, the professor that brings the student at the International Olympiad, to, to show how to, to organize this kind of activity and uh, to promote this kind of activity also in, uh, uh, in their country. In the last two years that uh, there was a pandemic, so we do not have a presential Olympiad, uh, was a good opportunity to stimulate the local mentor to prepare their own field activity, uh, problem solving uh, field activity. And uh, that uh, it worked uh, pretty well. We have a staff that uh, uh, mentor the, the leader of the, each national uh, team. And uh, we, we collect several, ex several good examples of uh, this kind of activity. So in that way, I think it, it helped to, to spread the methodology. About the idea that uh, this kind of Olympiad promote the, the, uh, the academic interest of the student, at least in IESO, look like that is not so, <laughs> so, so effective. Uh, what we discovered is that uh, most of the students that participate at IESO uh, decide to follow other paths like medicine or biology or other uh, physics, chemistry. I mean, these are brilliant students that are selected through this, uh, this Olympiad. And some of them uh, have been successful in different international Olympiad. So they are good students in, uh, in different, different fields. And uh, some of them continue to study geology or science, some other no, and the majority no. But uh, it's okay, I think. The idea is that uh, they have uh, at least a uh, uh, a contact with the air science, with the air system science approach, and uh, in any field uh, where they will work later on, they could bring this experience and try to apply this experience in uh, their field of interest. 
So do you think um, there's a place for some of these Olympiads to start uh, converging? If you're going to have a lot of students that are doing earth science Olympiads, but moving into biology, there are new fields that are new hybrid fields that are starting to develop. I've seen at American conferences of uh, geo health uh, interfacing geology and health. Do you think there's a place for these Olympiads to start to collaborate on places where in places where students can start seeing connections across these various fields that may seem to be very different? Well, I think uh, I think there is space uh, and I think uh, the uh, the concept of uh, Olympiad is uh, it works really, really well to get people involved. Uh, this is my experience when I organized IESO in 2011 in Italy. Uh, it it was not so difficult. It was difficult, but it was not so difficult to put together the budget, the budget to organize the event. Uh, there are other kind of events that uh, even to find a small budget is much more complicated. Uh, so is uh, the name uh, help to to have engagement around, but uh, so independent on the team that you choose for your Olympiad, if you put the word Olympiad <laughs> with uh, some other things, you you have a lot of chance to, to have um, quite a, a lot of participation from the public, from the student, and also for the sponsor. But uh, after uh, all these years of experience in Olympiad, I started to think uh, if uh, this educational model uh, that worked well, for the purpose of engagement could be refined or could be, uh, we, we could start to think something different, not based in competition, but more focused in cooperation. In IESO, we have also cooperation, but uh, is inside uh, in a context of competition. And uh, I think it's not so necessary today to, to use this, uh, uh, this, this methodology, this strategy to engage people. There are a lot of collaborative and cooperative uh, projects, especially that are now more easy for them with the internet connection. And so I think uh, it's time to, to try to focus more in this kind of, uh, of activity that I think personally is what uh, the world need more nowadays, or cooperation and uh, and trust among the people, among the... Yeah, so. and uh, I think it actually, it makes a lot of sense, uh, even because the, um, the way we are doing science now, the way we do any kind of research, there are fewer and fewer projects that are led by a single researcher. The projects are collaborative in nature by now because the, you need expertise from so many fields. And so showing students early on how collaborative science can be, um, I think it would be a plus and it would prepare them if they decide to, you know, whether they stay in academia or they go into industry, if they do any sort of scientific research, that's what they're going to have to learn how to do really well, collaborate. All right, excellent. Well, I think this was a very fascinating discussion looking at a completely different system and perspective on how we can approach uh, these educational endeavors. So thank you so much for your time, Roberto.
Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lev. Thank you, Fabia. <laughs> Okay, so Lev, what did you learn from this fascinating conversation? Well, I've already had all these conversations before, so this was a rehash for me. But I think what I liked most about uh, most about the discussion was this thought of community projects and the idea of taking what we're doing in the academy and taking it out to the community around us. Uh, especially in the U.S., there's a problem where uh, state funding is getting cut for universities because the universities tend to have more of a cosmopolitan focus and focus on recruiting students from around the world and tend to neglect the community that surrounds them. So an idea that the idea that you can take students in all sorts of disciplines and connect them to their local community and showing them that that is important so that the community can see the value of the university. I think it's very good. And it's also a project. It's an approach that we are working on helping develop around the world through Greenworks, which we discussed last week. Yeah, and and I think universities are moving in that direction. So, for example, there are more and more universities that are establishing connections and articulations with community colleges um, to kind of bridge that gap. Um, and that is the first step, right? You go towards the community college and then from there you move towards the uh, community leaders, the county, the state, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, I think that is a very powerful way um, for a university to actually give back. Uh, to the community and and really show even our own students show them how the things they are studying in theory are actually applied. Um, I think it's uh, it's something that the students do enjoy quite a bit, at least from what I've from what I've seen. And I I'm really looking forward to seeing how this uh, new uh, approach that Brazil is going to develop will shape up because I think it could be a, actually an excellent idea and very very powerful. Excellent. And so what did you learn from uh, this discussion that was new to you? I think it's time to start uh, an international astrobiology Olympiad. I was thinking the same thing, because that could get into the interdisciplinary stuff, plus astrobiology is super sexy for students. Yes. And, the, and I mean, astrobiology is born to be interdisciplinary. That's what it is. It's like, can you imagine how much fun the students would have, especially in a collaborative uh, setting, like Roberto was saying, they have the biologists have to talk to the astronomers and to talk to the, the geochemistry people just to learn about the basics. That would be super cool to work on. So what so would be their years. challenge? What would be their challenge that we'd have to do? Do we do they just shoot themselves to Mars and the ones that get their first win? <laughs> well, we could try that, although I'm not sure the parents would agree on that activity. I don't know. I, I Depends suspect. on the parent-child relationship. <laughs> okay, that is a good point. <laughs> this is a horrible way to end the season. <laughs> Well, parents and students consider potentially applying to different kind of activities, depending on how far away you want to be from each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a good place to wrap up the season. I think we had a really interesting, we covered a wide range of topics. I think what's really stunned me about just, just in, in these 15 conversations we've had is just the diversity of career pathways into the sciences and 
the way that everyone kind of gets funneled into grad school along different um, different pathways, but then splits out in all sorts of different endpoints, museums, uh, uh, earthquake monitoring, international universities, nonprofits, traditional pathways, community colleges. It's, it's just really extraordinary to see how diverse this is. And, and it's just been an, act, an absolute pleasure to have conversations with, with everyone that we've talked to this season, not just because it's some of our friends we haven't talked to in years, but just in terms of having a discussion on what they've been doing since we last talked, which was in <laughs> graduate school. Yeah, and I think I'll be honest, after all these conversations, um, I kind of feel more positive towards the future. Sometimes it's difficult to keep, you know, um, a positive outlook on the future. Uh, the world doesn't always seem a particularly happy place, but seeing how much energy and how many different ideas are out there and how many people are willing to push through to make these ideas a reality, um, it's encouraging. It's encouraging and it's inspiring. And it was really wonderful to see uh, all of these great ideas that take shape in many different ways. All right. And on that note, we will close out the season. So we'll see you next season, unless we don't. <laughs> Hopefully see you soon. <laughs> Today's music is Brazilian Dance by Music Production from Pixabay.com. To learn more about Roberto's university, the University of Campinas, go to www.unicamp.br. To learn more about the International Earth Science Olympiad, go to www.ieso-info.org. Global.Science is a production of Science Voices, a U.S. nonprofit organization. To keep up with all our projects, including future seasons of this podcast, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or go to www.sciencevoices.org. 